Hey there, thanks for tuning in to this episode. Want to give a shout out to our newest members before we get started. So, Richie Adams in Dublin, Ireland, Juan Pablo Romero in Cochabamba, Bolivia, Ron Elias in Virginia, and Stefan Bischoff in Geneva, Switzerland. I mean, that's quite an international crowd. And so again, just want to appreciate y'all becoming a member and look forward to seeing you all on our next group call. And if you're interested in joining that group call and you're not a member, well, check the episode description below to find out how to become one. And we worked out of the house for about a year and a half. We were just like, we're not gonna spend money on anything we don't have to for as long as we can. And they're like, oh yeah, I hate doing billing. <laughs> like, really? I love getting paid. I saw that growing up and I thought, I want no part of that. In the beginning, before you figure out what's the thing that will fulfill all of those for you, you need to know what. You're gonna have ups and downs. You're gonna have amazing highs, but you're gonna have some lows too that you really have to figure out. And so every year is a little different and you go into it with all your plans and your goals. And then you figure out how those will all probably get rearranged as the year goes on. But that's part of the fun of it, I think. Hi, I'm Kristen Harris. I'm one of the founders of Portfolio Creative, which is a staffing firm in Columbus, Ohio. I'm 50, which sounds young to me. And so Portfolio Creative is a company that connects clients with creative talent. So we do staffing, we do direct hire, we just launched some job transition services. So workforce planning, really anything around creating and building your creative team. So a marketing team, a design team inside a company generally is who we're working with, the leadership of an existing team that wants to grow or add. Is this still a good time for you as far as business, it would seem like? It's okay. Not nearly as bad as many. So I think one of the things that we're fortunate in, well, two things, actually, the work that our people do can be done remotely. While companies maybe weren't so open to that idea before, they're very open to it right now. So a lot of our people have been able to continue working, continue doing the work that needs to get done. And companies are needing it. They're trying to communicate, maybe try different marketing, get their messages out to, you know, what they're open, what services they are able to offer. So our people actually have been pretty busy. Yeah, I agree with you on that. I think the office market, like as far as commercial real estate is going to be going down here because it's just like a lot of people now when you force someone to do it, how many companies, I imagine most of them still never worked from home or did any of that. But again, it sounds like your workforce, a lot of them end up working from home. Yeah, they're able to. And it's interesting you bring that up because we're even having that conversation internally. We're all working from home right now. Now, I do miss people. I miss the communication, you know, chat around the coffee maker or whatever, but it's worked out pretty well. I could really see us maybe being a mix, like having some days remote and then maybe still like a home base where we could meet and interview talent. But I think we'll end up being a mix when we come out of this. Yeah. I think a lot of people are going to go that route. And especially the early interviews that I used to do for this podcast, I used to talk about that a lot. I mean, I thought more people had been working from home by now, but now everyone is. So I guess my prediction eventually came through, Kristen. It just took a couple of years. <laughs> you were so, <laughs> you were so prescient. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm like, over time, this is going to happen. It still doesn't seem like it's happening. It still isn't happening. And bam, everyone finally listened to me. You can work from home. It's fine. So I think it'll be a mix. I think that people need and miss some of that connection and that rallying together. 
but I could see a lot more of it happening. I 100% agree. I think the perfect match is like, I've talked to people on here. I remember one of them was the Halo Top episode. It was Doug Booten. Trying to think what episode number that is, so y'all can go ahead and check that out. He is actually exactly talking about that. It's episode 127, if y'all want to check that out after this one. Somewhere I think he would go in the office twice a week, or maybe it's at least once a week, where they all have a meeting somewhere, whether it's a WeWork or something. Well, they probably won't be doing WeWork anymore, but somewhere else that once a week they went in, but everyone else was remote at least four days a week, because then you had a kind of perfect compromise of letting people do what they did. As long as they got their work done, you don't really care at the end of the day. But then from there, if you also want to have some human camaraderie, because I think all of us are itching and feeling like, okay, I think we're tired of being just from home all the time. Like work from home, even though I work from home, it's like, okay, I used to be able to go out sometimes and get out. But I think we're all feeling that part of it. Yeah, you can even go to a coffee shop or a co-work space or maybe where you're just working around other people, even if they're not actually your co-workers. I think people are missing that interaction. It is interesting, the whole remote work thing, because we're a small team. We have 10 people internally. Now, two of them work completely remotely. They live in other cities and they also happen to be two of our leadership team members. So they're the two people that most everyone reports to. And I wouldn't have chosen it. I mean, I'll be honest, I wouldn't have gone out and hired people in other cities, but they were really, really great people and they were moving and I didn't want to lose them. So we decided to try it. And the one person has been doing that for five or six years. It's probably longer than that. And the other person recently moved, but we already had the experience with the first one. So, you know, even just from a standpoint of not losing maybe a really great team member, I think people are open to it. Oh, yeah, for sure. I think that would be the main thing. Yeah, maybe 20 years ago, you're like, okay, I'm screwed. I'm not, you know, like, I'm just going to let that person go. Yeah, well, I'll have to replace them. Right. But now it's like, okay, especially if you're starting off, it still might make a lot more sense to have someone that you want to physically be near with your starting up a company or you know, we're one of the first few people, but now maybe you can have a long distance relationship, if you will, with those people. Yes. So you said your company's 10 people total. And could you give us a little bit more rundown as far as revenue or also a little bit more detail of exactly what you do? Yes, exactly what we do really is we work with creative people and that's a wide variety what we put in the creative bucket, but it's everything from individuals who would do writing, graphic design, web design, fashion design, all sorts of creative work like that. And then also people who work in those departments. So we also work with talent who are project managers, account managers, production, like there's all of these other functions that help get the work done. And then there's the pure creative people, pretty much if it's position that would be found in a marketing or an advertising creative design sort of a department or company, then we probably would serve that role. Really what we do is we're just constantly finding and curating great talent and then helping connect them with clients who need them. So our clients are, the companies are really our client. They're coming to us with a need and it might be temporary. It might be a project. It might be a full-time role they want to add. And then our job is to go out and find them a great person. And so often, because we are always collecting and curating talent, often we have already connections with great people that we can send their way. And then sometimes we have to go out and find them. It could be an unusual skill set or a certain kind of background. And then we have to put on our recruiter hat and go figure out where those people are hiding and talk to them and have them be interested in the role we're working on. So I think at the core of it, we're really matchmakers. It's just business matchmaking instead of like dating, but it's very similar. We've been in business for 15 years. We're a small women-owned business, which we're very proud of. I have a business partner, Catherine, and we started the company 15 years ago here in Columbus. Mostly our 
metrics are measured a lot on things like headcount. So like in the staffing industry, you look a lot at how many people you have working with clients or how many W-2s you issue. So we usually have between 50 and 100 people placed with clients, and we have somewhere between like 120 to 250 W-2s. So most of the people that are working with our clients are our W-2 employees. And it's an interesting business because the revenue really goes up and down, and it's very economically driven. So we're going through a, a different cycle right now. A year ago, companies really want to hire full-time I just want to hire somebody because A, that's the only way I can get them to come work for me. Like they have lots of options. It's hard to find people. I want to lock them down. And we were doing a lot of direct hire recruiting, which is very different from a revenue standpoint because we're not paying the person. We're just charging a fee to the client. But then in other economic cycles, we're doing a lot of staffing. So that is more of a, I sort of say, quote unquote, temporary I mean, it could be a few weeks or it could be years, but the person is placed and working with the client, but they're our W-2 employee. So we're their employer. We provide all of their benefits. All of the payroll runs through us. So then our revenue is very high, but there's a lot of expense, which comes right out the top, which is the payroll. And so you said you're a women-owned business, so you're 10 employees? Almost. We have one man. Derek, and he is fantastic and he hangs in there with all of us. You know, we don't purposefully only hire women and we've certainly had plenty of men that have worked for us through the years, but right now we're nine out of 10 are female. Well, this is a non-gender owned podcast in case you're wondering. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm sure someone will be offended by that. I don't care. <laughs> I'm curious, a women owned business, are there some benefits to that? So if there's women listening now, any like tax credits or anything of that nature. Like I'm trying to help like any woman who's on the fence, who's listening, maybe there's some benefits here. And again, maybe it might be depending on your location, which you're in Ohio, right? We're in Ohio. Illinois. Sorry. I'm close. <laughs> no, you're right. We're in Ohio. Oh, I thought you said Illinois. Okay. Yeah. That's what I thought. I write down Ohio. I'm like, okay. So yeah. Could you tell us about the benefits of being a woman owned business? And again, anyone who's speaking to any young female entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs, potential entrepreneurs on like why they should start their own business. Yeah, why that matters. So I will say that I'm not sure we have a ton of benefits from being women owned, but I also haven't seen negatives either. So I think gendered ownership is kind of interesting in different industries. We're not necessarily in an industry that is so atypical for to be women in it. There's a lot of female employees and even owners in the staffing and recruiting industry, as opposed to, I have a friend who's in construction. That is really unusual. <laughs> there are very few women-owned businesses in something like construction. So for us, we have been certified since we started the business. There are organizations that certify you. So you have to follow these elaborate applications with a bunch of information. And then generally they come and meet with you to confirm that you are indeed running the business because sometimes people try to pretend their spouse is running the business, for example. So they come and check on you. And where that has helped us is with some of our larger corporate clients, when they have initiatives or they have goals within their company to diversify their spend or their supplier base, then we count towards it, right? Because we're a more diverse supplier for them. And I've not heard any women-owned business ever say it's been something where people just like call you up and say, hi, I want to use you because I found you on a women-owned website. You know what? It's not a direct conduit to getting opportunities, but I think it certainly can tip the scale a little bit if that's important to a company, or it definitely doesn't hurt. 
I mean, I think my favorite interviews you've ever had are the ones where you've bleeped out their name. I think there was two of them where they were just absolute fails. Yeah, the two Patreon episodes, I think it was number two and then yeah. 17 that just came out recently. It was just like the oddest interaction ever. It was awkward and super, super entertaining. Yeah, well, good. Well, glad I got two entertaining Patreon ones there for you. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's important to any company. I'm just trying to look for any benefit because whatever niche we're in or whatever, if there's someone who's wondering, it's like, look into these things that can be helpful to you. You got to use whatever's to your advantage. Exactly. I th that's why I was going to say, I guess I will always use something to my advantage. If someone is like, hey, it would help you to be certified. Like, okay, I will sign up. It's not going to hurt me. It could help. So generally, I guess what I would say if somebody's considering whether they should be certified or not, because there is a fee and there is time, is finding out if it's important to your clients or the kind of clients you work with and which certification you go after. There are different ones. And so depending on your client base, it would matter which one you pursue. If you're doing government work, there's different certifications they look for than the larger corporate one is generally, it's called WeBank, W-B-E-N-C is the organization that does a lot of certifications that corporations use. So you really need to know what matters to your client, and then you can pursue the one that would be what they're looking for. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. That's what I mean. I've never brought this up in some of the... So what's that website again so they could check it out? Because this is important resources that I wouldn't have known about. Maybe people listening don't know about that. Maybe they can check out. Yes, the organization is W-B-E-N-C. Women's Business Enterprise National Council. That's a mouthful. So I just Googled that. Exactly. So I think it's WBENC org. And then it's structured with regional councils, I think they call themselves, like re regional organizations. So we're in the Ohio River Valley organization, and it covers three or four states in this area. They're different, you know, regional organizations. So the certification ends up being through that regional organization. They do all the work, but it's tied back to this national WeBank group. If someone was needing to pursue it or curious about it, I think I would start with the nationalwebank.org and then find their regional organization. And that's who you would pursue it. Yeah, because I have even heard like military contracts or if you're in construction, like you said, there's certain industries where it could be way more beneficial because there's way more men, right? And especially if you get that certification in there, it's like some of the huge companies need to have so many women-owned businesses, give them so many contracts, whether in your military or construction or just always keep thinking of what might I qualify for or, or might help me to make my business a little bit better. So I appreciate you bringing up that resource. Right. And to your point with military or governmental or maybe state transportation contracts, that kind of stuff, those all have different kinds of certifications they're looking for. So most of those organizations don't really look for WeBank, but like in Ohio, it's a Department of Transportation has their certification or the Save Columbus has one. That's where I say like, know what clients either you work with or you're going after and then find out what certification they use because you don't want to waste your time on one that isn't even the one they're looking for. Yeah. I mean, I think if they just go to this one, at least at first, seems like it might be the biggest one. And then it gives you an idea of like, okay, let me go niche specific, right? It's just like there's conferences that are niche specific. Yes. Great. Well, yeah, I appreciate you bringing that up. Absolutely. What's interesting is because like I said, with the different kinds of work we do, our gross margin has continuously gone up. Even the margin dollars tend to be more similar than not, even though the revenue was wildly different. That's sort of something I think when people are thinking about their business, just thinking about having different kinds of products and services. Everything we do, the margin isn't the same, what it takes to deliver isn't the same, but they're all needed at different times. 
when it's hard to hire, we do a lot of direct hire. When people aren't sure about hiring, we do a lot of staffing. When people are laying off, we are starting to do more job transitions. So we're offering different things based on what companies need to do with their own workforce. Yeah, definitely something to keep in mind. So why don't we go ahead and reel back to when you got started your business here? Yeah. So do you want to start with starting the business or like prior to that? Tell us whatever you think is most exciting that everyone could learn from. And we'll start off from that part of the story. Yeah. So I guess I will start with the fact that I went to art school. No way. <laughs> so I did not go to any kind of business university whatsoever. Yes, I went to Columbus College of Art and Design, which is a very good art school. It's here in Columbus. It's in Ohio. And I didn't exactly know what I wanted to do, but I liked art. So I got a scholarship and I decided to give it a try. And I really loved the school when I got there. So I went to art school. My major was retail advertising, which is not really a major they have anymore, but it was at the time. And I actually started working for what's now L Brands. It's gone through a few name iterations, but it's the parent company of Victoria's Secret, Bath & Body, Pink, some of the fashion brands. And over the years, it's been either the creator of or acquirer and grower of a lot of retail brands that people know, like Justice and Abercrombie and & Fitch and Lane Bryant and Express and probably others I'm not thinking of right now, ones that don't exist anymore, like Structure. So I started working there right before I graduated from college. Actually, I had like a summer and then a few more classes to take. So I started freelancing at Victoria's Secret and I just basically never left. They finally hired me. I worked there for 13 years in different divisions. So I worked for limited brands the whole time, but I was at several of those companies I named in their marketing and creative departments. I was a graphic designer. Were you a model there too? No. <laughs> <laughs> if Did only. you get a discount on their clothing? At least? I am 5'1", so I'm not really in the model category. <laughs> gotcha. I did get a discount on clothing. Yes. There you go. That's a benefit of working there. So yeah, I was always in the marketing department. I worked a lot on graphic design, art direction. We did a lot of in-store marketing is what we mostly focused on. So the visual displays of the merchandise, all the signage, all of that kind of thing, a lot of direct mail. And so, like I said, I was there for 13 years. The last role, I was the art director at Express, which is still in existence, but it's an independent company now. And I think about year 12, I had like this, you know, career crisis. I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I felt like it wasn't that anymore. Like for me, I could only design so many Christmases. I can only come up with so many ideas for Mother's Day or whatever all the different retail holidays are. Just looked around and I don't think I want to be here for 10 more years, but I don't know what it is I want to do. So I spent about a year trying to figure it out. And I thought about going back to school and starting different businesses. And I interviewed for other jobs. I sort of poked around all kinds of different things, but I had always had this idea about, and I didn't even know it was called staffing then, but about helping companies find freelancers is what we would have called them. In my department, about 50% of the people on my team actually were not employees of Express. They were freelancers or you call them contractors now probably. And there was a lot to find all those people and manage them. And so I'd had this idea. I mean, even back in my first job in Victoria's Secret, my friend and I always joked about like freelancers on call, we should start a business. And so somewhere, I guess it was just stuck in the back of my head all that time. And I started doing some research and thinking about it and started to think it might be a decent idea. I mean, didn't seem any worse than any other ideas I had. I started talking to the woman who is now my business partner. She was freelancing for us, actually. And I was talking to her because she would be more like the talent side. And she actually had experience working for some firms like that. She's from Chicago. So we had nothing like that in Columbus at the time. We were more of like a mid-tier city. 
And those kind of companies were really only in the really larger metropolitan areas, focused on creative. There was staffing of all types of things, but not focused on creative. So we decided we would start a company and we knew nothing. <laughs> and so this was after 13 years of being an employee. So, I mean, I think I was just looking at your time. Are we 2003, 2004 is when you decided to start your own business here from being an employee all before that? Yes, exactly. A corporate employee. So we started on January 1st of 2005. So yes, 2004, probably for about six months through the end of that year, we worked on planning it, figuring out what we were going to do. I was still working for some period of time. And then there was a corporate reorganization going on. And I was like, well, I'm just going to hang out because either I'll still have a job or I'll get laid off. And I've been here a long time, so I'll get some severance. So either way, you know, And that's what happened. I did get laid off and I had some severance. So I had a little bit of a cushion, a little bit of time. So what's a little bit of cushion? I think that when we first started, Catherine was freelancing. So she had some clients of her own she was working for. And I think when we first started, we figured out that we needed to start paying her after about three months. And then I had about six months of runway. Like personally? And we did. We were able to. Personally, so like how much money you're saying that you had? I mean, it's different having business money, how much you both decide. No, I mean, I could pay my bills for six months. Okay, gotcha. Because we were both single at the time. We both had houses, but not a lot of expenses. And we both said, okay, I'm not going to lose my house. I need to buy groceries. You know, what's the minimum I can live on? And we both figured that out and how much, you know, each personally had to live off of. But I think it's interesting when you bring up like business money versus personal money, because in the beginning for us, that was all the same pool of money. We did not have funding or investors or anything like that. And the first few people that worked for us for a client, I literally wrote check to them out of my savings account to pay them because there's this lag. We pay our people the next week, but it's at least 30 or more days until our client's paying us. So all the money was in the same pool in the beginning. So yeah, we did have to make it all stretch. Appreciate you uh, becoming a Patreon member. Yeah, no problem, man. So what inspired you to become one? There was some content specifically, I can't remember the guy's name, but the guy over at uh, Meineke, I was just like, I had to listen to the end of it. So it it was a good hook. It is so funny that you said that because when I literally just got done editing, the guy said the exact same thing. Really? Yeah. I kept thinking that story was so good. I mean, I don't know if you thought the same thing, obviously. The guy, as you can just tell, he's a grinder, you know, and you want to root for a guy like that. Right. But this is one of the benefits. If we can just hone in on like right when you started, because I think it's interesting. But again, anyone who's listening, it's like a service-based business. You don't need a lot of money. It's not like you started a new product and you need hundreds of thousands to just even get started. This is basically your time and effort. And I guess I was just distinguishing like the personal money is like, okay, how much runway y'all both had? Because if you start a company solo too, especially the lines are super blurred, but at least if you have two people, at least you've got a better idea. But did y'all both just decide it was like 50-50 on what you're going to own and generate revenue and how much money y'all decided you were going to put in to even get started? Yes. So we were 50-50. We still are. Always have been 50-50 partners. And we each put in slightly different things. So I think Catherine had some equipment because she'd been freelancing. She had some equipment that she brought to the table and I had some money in my savings account and we paid me back. So once we started getting paid by clients, we paid me back my own personal funds, but we both put in our personal money. And you're right, with a service business, it was really our time and energy. So we worked out of my house. So I just happened to live on 
kind of a busy street by a library where there were businesses and homes. So we were able to just sort of make the front of my house the way it was set up an office space and people would come there and interview and it didn't seem weird because you weren't going back into like a cul-de-sac in a you know neighborhood or whatever. And so we worked out of my... Or in your bedroom. Uh, yeah, exactly. You're not going to my <laughs> There's bedroom. There's a both of those. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. It sounds like yeah, you have a good setup on, an, on a decent street that I think we can all visualize. You made it kind of look like into an office, your first room or something like that. Exactly. And, and we each had a laptop and we had a printer and, you know, we didn't need a whole lot beyond that. Right. So it was really our time and energy. And we worked out of that house for about a year and a half, I think, before we decided to spend the money on an office. We were just like, we're not going to spend money on anything we don't have to for as long as we can. And so we're all good friends, you and Catherine. It's funny because we're <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> we always say we're not friends. We're probably much better friends than in the beginning. We always say we're not friends. Like we knew each other through limited brands. We had worked together in sort of related departments at one of the divisions. And that place, like lots of companies, I'm sure, is almost like a giant extended family in some ways where like you know what's going on with people and people move around amongst the different companies and you interact and bump back into people a lot. So, you know, I would see her periodically and then she was freelancing and she started coming and working with us at Express. So I only ever knew her as a coworker. We're still kind of like that. Like we don't hang out together on the weekends. Our personal lives are not intertwined, only our business lives. And we're very good friends, but we are still always business friends. I think that's been good. There's always that advice to like not start a business with your friend. And so we always joke and we're like, oh, that's okay. We're not friends. As far as like Catherine, you kind of would work by her or work with her in the same department actually, or you just kind of knew of her at your old job? Yeah. So we worked together in two sort of side-by-side -side departments. So I knew her and I knew her work ethic and personality and that kind of thing. That's the main thing I wanted to point out. I mean, that's a big advantage, especially when you work with friends. I mean, honestly, like people who I'm friends with, right? I think you might work hard at work, but I don't really know, right? Yeah. I can't 100% say, at least if you're going to have a partner and let's say they're a coworker, again, things to keep in mind, you're like, if you can tell that person's a hard worker, that's a big stepping stone of like, I might want to start a company with that person, you know? That's a great point because you see their work ethic. I mean, I have lots of friends I adore that I would never go into business with. Hell no. I think most of us, 90% of our friends, they're our friends, but not our, we don't want to be a worker. <laughs> Right. And I do think I was very fortunate. I mean, it's very hard to tell somebody how to go out and find a business partner that's a good fit for them. I think we have some sort of magical relationship that has worked out really well over all of these years. And we still really like each other, which is great. But a couple things that I think are were in our favor. One is what you said. We knew each other through a work connection. So we knew each other's work ethic and personality from that standpoint. So our personalities are almost opposite, but what we value and how we approach things is very, very similar. So I think that has helped us in the beginning. Everything that had to be done, one of the two of us had to do it, right? Like the recruiting and the sales, but also the accounting and you know, payroll and all of the stuff that has to happen. One of us had to do it. And even then and even now, we don't really have an issue where we both want to do something and we have to fight it out or something. We're both wired really differently. So it's really easy to say like, you are more suited to do that. I am more suited to do this. It's always been that way. And so I think that has really helped our partnership too. We're very complimentary of each other. Even though you're not friends. Even though we're not friends. <laughs> yeah. Well, if it's all right with you, I'd like to hone in a lot into this, like y'all starting off because I get 
even in our Facebook group, people are wondering, some of them who haven't started their business consistently would say like, you can start a service business, right? It's more your time and effort than putting money in. So I'm just curious, you started at 35. I mean, were you scared? What's like starting your own business here? Because if you had your own job, well, I guess you got laid off. So you really didn't have a choice, huh? <laughs> if I'm thinking about it. <laughs> yes, I didn't have a choice, but I could have just gotten another job. I was interviewing with other retailers. Like I could have taken another job that was essentially the same job I had, just at a different company, right? But I chose not to. So I wasn't scared. And I think it's mostly that you don't know what you don't know. I didn't know enough to be scared. Like we both said to ourselves, we have X amount of time. Like I said, we sat down and figured out like how much time until I really have to be paid. And we both felt pretty confident that we had skills that were marketable. Like if one or both of us needed to pick up some freelance work or go get a job or whatever, that we could do that, whether that was temporarily until the business got going, or if that was just what we decided to do. Both of us felt like we were employable if need be. And so I think I wasn't nervous for that reason either. It wasn't like, oh my gosh, if this doesn't work, you know, I'm going to be on the street. I felt like I had other options. But honestly, when you go into it, you just don't know anything. So there's nothing to be afraid of. So I guess when you are putting together a game plan, even when you started, you said January 1, 2005, how much were y'all working when you started off a business? I mean, especially you're both single. I'm just curious if those lines got blurred where you're working a lot or did you decide that, hey, you know, I'm doing the four hour work week. How'd that start off? Well, not exactly that. <laughs> I don't understand how that works, although I'd love to figure it out. So when we first started planning the business, we were both working, you know, I was still express and she was still freelancing. So we would get together one or two evenings a week. And we actually had this workbook that we found that we were working through. So we would do like a chapter, whatever a week. And, you know, it asked all these questions, you'd fill it out, we'd get together, share our answers and sort of went through that process of figuring out what it would take to get started. That took us about six months. And then we just picked January 1st because we had to pick a date. It's like we could keep thinking about this forever, but we need to just pick a date. So January 1st sounds good. Yeah, I like picking a hard date like that too. But the workbook, I'm a little curious, what's that? Can you explain that? I believe it's six weeks to start up because we affectionately call it six months to start up. I'm like, six weeks? That was a workbook that y'all can see it off Amazon. Yes. Which, by the way, you guys can use our affiliate link and the show notes below. I get a whopping like two cents per purchase here, Kristen. So make sure y'all at least use that affiliate link in there. So was that worth it to you? Was that helpful? Yes, it was awesome. I recommend it to people all the time. It just makes you work through all of the things you need to get a business started, but in some sort of logical manner. Because I think before we came across that, we had endless lists of things that we thought we needed to do and probably that we did need to do, but I had no idea what to do first. And so this is literally, it was very provided confidence, I think, because it's like, all we have to do is worry about whatever is in chapter one for this week. And all of those other things will show up later in some future chapter. So we don't have to worry about them. We'll just keep focusing on this step. And whether it's this process or another process or book that people may find, I think maybe I'm just wired that way. I'm a very sort of process-oriented person. So all I have to worry about is this section right now. When I complete it, then I can move on to the next section. So breaking it down into those little achievable chunks, I think really, really helped us. Yeah. I think having a guide, I mean, that's why some people listen to these episodes. It's like they can pull things out from memory of what this person did, like technically or tactical things they could use in their business. But especially if you're coming off being like a W-2 employee for a big company, and then you're starting your own business, these are like way different mindsets, right? Yes. You having a guide or something simple to follow 
Because, I mean, that's the thing is like there's so many guides out there, you almost get overburdened now. I guess at least back then, it seems like there's a few less, but check out this book. It seems like a very simple book or it's just something basic to make a, set, a timeline. You've got to knock out these things that will help you get started successfully. And again, seems like you guys doing the six-month startup here helped you both, I guess, figure that out. Yes, absolutely. So highly recommend that as a tool. So kind of back to your question. So we picked January 1st, 2005, and we were working full-time. So by that, I mean about 40 hours a week. I guess we were trained in that corporate world that was corporate mindset, although there's no way I ever worked only 40 hours a week in my jobs at Limited Brands. <laughs> I was there many, many more hours. But one thing that was really important to us, and I should say like when we started this, we really just thought about making fun jobs for ourselves. Like we didn't have any vision of a company where we would have eight other employees or a big office space and all of these other things. We really just were both at a point in our careers where we wanted to do something different and we thought we could create fun jobs for ourselves. So I don't know that in the beginning we ever thought of it as anything beyond like the two of us. So part of what we really talked about was making it be a place that we want to work. We had worked in some corporate environments. Some were great, some were not as great. But it was like, if I want to work 60 hours a week or 80 hours a week or something, I'll just go get another job at another retailer because they're going to pay me like twice as much as I'm making now here at my company. Probably a hundred times. Probably. The first year. <laughs> yes, way more. So it's like part of what we realized we could do is create the kind of life that we wanted. And so we were also willing to sacrifice things for that, right? I'll take a little less money, but I'm just going to be done at five or six o'clock and I'm going to be okay with that. And that's not to say that both of us didn't do some stuff in the evenings or on a weekend because there are things that need to be done, events or a client has an urgent need for the next day or whatever. Like you jump in and you take care of those things when they need to be, but it doesn't have to be every day or it didn't for us. And we tried to really hold ourselves to that. Yeah, well, I appreciate you being a Patreon. Uh, no worries, man. I, I came across the podcast a few weeks ago, and I definitely uh, enjoy them. So uh, I wanted to at least show my commitment. And at the amount that you uh, it costs, I, I wanted to go for the highest tier. So Yeah, well, I appreciate that. So were you just Googling? like a Looking for another podcast, and yours popped up. And I was like, well, let me check this out. And then, you know, I listened to one. And I love how in depth and detail. The first one I listened to was the uh, mining key guy. Oh, that was a good one. That was a good one to start off with. Yeah. yeah. And and I'm in the franchising, okay, right? Perfect. So well, I'm in a franchise. I definitely uh it definitely was a good one to start off. And um I like the questions that you ask. You know, you hold them to numbers and so I think I've listened to maybe sixty in the last three weeks. Oh wow. Yeah, so, you've been binging. As far as like episodes, what's been one of your favorite? The Meineke guy. The Meineke, yeah, you really did start <laughs> yeah. off with I thought so, too. Yeah. I've been telling everyone how great that one was. And 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 he's one of the main reasons I joined the Patreon, too. I was like, man, I got to hear the end of his story. It took, <laughs> it took me a couple weeks, but uh, yeah, I was like, yeah, I got to hear the end of his story. So if you want to hear that episode with Charles Bonfiglio, go check out episode 165. And I'm glad I brought this up too, because I forgot my question, Kristen, and you I guess you remembered it. So I appreciate that. The key is doing what you want to do to be happy and optimizing for what you want. So like having that goal, like you were saying, maybe it sounded like you were working more, making obviously more back with your old company, but you're like, I'd rather work less and make less money, but have fun, even if it's just the two of y'all. So just make sure when you're going into it, if some people, you can work 60 or 80 hour weeks when you're starting because you're enjoying so much and you want to do it and you want to like 
get it going as hard as you can. And maybe you're a little bit younger and have a little bit more energy and like you're ready to go, especially if you like have kids or something else. Maybe you want to just work 20 hours a week and you want to do it as a side business. So just realize, you know, make those expectations, make those goals when you're starting with the six month startup here. I think that is such a great point of going into it, knowing what you want out of it. And this is even a conversation we have a lot with our candidates when they're looking for a new role really figuring out what they want because you think you know, but until you have to sit down and think about it and talk through it with someone, a lot of times we don't think about those things. If I was allowed to, what hours would I work? How much money do I actually need as opposed to what I made before? There's all these questions that I think are so important in the beginning before you figure out what's the thing that will fulfill all of those for you. You need to know what they are. Like, do you want to wear clothes to work? You can work from home and work in the nude. Or like, hey, I haven't put on makeup for weeks and I'm actually enjoying it. <laughs> hey, you look beautiful right now, Kristen. Oh, thank you so much. You can't see me. <laughs> yeah, we're doing an audio in case anyone's wondering. Okay, so yeah, tell us about how that first year went with your partner there. Like, I guess kind of some of the ups and downs, because I think when I'm looking back at this interview, I might want to call it like, you know, how to start a service-based business. Because if we can just focus on this, I want to get any mindset of anyone thinking, oh, I can't do it. Well, it sounds like you can. And I would just want to go through like these little steps if we can that got you started. Yeah, absolutely. So I just remembered something too that might be kind of interesting is so my parents always had their own businesses. I think I know my dad basically tells me, oh, I've been retired since I was 20 or something, which is by no means true because he works twice as much as I do. But they've always had their own businesses. So I think a lot of times people hear that and think, oh, so you were just like raised to be an entrepreneur. And the reality is I saw that growing up and I thought I want no part of that. Like they work so hard all the time. So I purposefully went out and wanted that corporate job and pursued that and did it for a long time and loved it. I mean, I have no regrets about that. I love that. But I never saw myself as an entrepreneur. I think I really just had an idea and thought it might work out. You know, like I think some people... They're 20 and they know they want to own a business, which is incredible to me. But I always remember, you know, call my parents and told them like, hey, guess what? I'm going to start a business and thought they would tell me I was crazy. And really, my dad's like, well, you know what? You can never get laid off and you can never get fired. And even if you try the next day, you wake up and you're still there. <laughs> like, okay, that's good to keep in mind. You know, you have a lot more control over what's happening which is very interesting to think about. Like it's all on you, but you also know what's going on and can make decisions and try to adjust and deal with a situation as opposed to sort of like just sitting at your desk, just waiting for someone to tell you what's happening. And I think that maybe I just really like having control over things, but I think at the end of the day, it does suit me. It's like my wife always tells me that my boss is an asshole, you know? <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> I tell my husband that when he wants to do something, I'm like, well, I'll ask Catherine. Right. <laughs> Catherine said, no, sorry. Yeah, sorry, too bad. Well, as you go over that first year, like looking back, how did everything go financially? Because again, we sound like you've had about six months of runway, you were saying there. Yeah. You know, we got started because we had worked in the industry. We had both worked in marketing and design and so on in this area. We knew a lot of people. We had a lot of contacts. We knew all the organizations, you know, the industry groups and that kind of stuff. So we were able to get connected to people fairly quickly. And really our first clients were the people that Catherine was freelancing for. 
And she essentially went to them and said, hey, I'm not really freelancing anymore, but I will find you someone as good as me. And if they're not as good as me, I'll come and do the work. I will not leave you hanging, but basically give me a shot and trust me, I'll find great people. And that's always been our standard is just, is this someone I would want to work with? Is this someone I would trust to take on this project? They put a lot of trust in her. And I think that really helped us with our first couple clients. And then we were able to get limited brands. Well, can you tell us about that first client? Because that's usually the biggest stepping stone, I think, for people. Even if it's a small, like say it was a $10 sale, you know what I'm saying? It's just like, ooh, how exciting that is. So tell us about that first sale. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to remember. I know it was a local ad agency. Catherine was working with a couple different ad agencies and design firms at the time. And I know it was one of them that she, you know, they reached out to her for a project and she basically gave them that pitch. And it was very exciting. And I'm fairly certain that also it was my college roommate that we placed. So, you know, in the beginning, everyone was someone we knew. All the clients were people we knew. All the talent were people we knew. But pretty quickly that evolved. That's a good point. Because your coworker who became your partner, that was an awesome pick. But then you're saying you knew all these people from those big companies who probably weren't as happy and probably want to make a life change like you're talking about, even if they made less money. Potentially, I guess they could make more, but at least they probably want to change, it would seem like. And you knew all those potential customers to place in new businesses. Yeah. And people that I knew through, they worked with us at Express on projects, or I had met through that, through the companies I'd worked for. You know, when you work in any industry in a city for a long time, you just get to know a lot of people. I'm pretty friendly, so I guess I do. It's interesting to think about in the very beginning, pretty much everyone was someone we knew or someone that was somehow connected, I guess, to our previous careers. But fairly soon, it evolved into a lot of referrals. So all those people would refer other people to us, both clients and talent. And even now, a large, large portion of our talent come to us through referrals. Someone else has a good experience with us, they will send their friends our way. And I think that's really rewarding for me. Like that tells me we're doing a good job. When somebody sends their friend to me, that means that we did something right for them. It's interesting to think about that evolution in the very beginning of like a lot of it being connections that you already have. And I think a lot of people start businesses that way, whatever it is that they're doing, you know, they tell all their friends about it first, right? And then ask for some support or to share the information on to other people. So how much do you think you ended up making that first year? I think we made about, or we billed about $250,000. So, you know, we made a percent of that. <laughs> yeah. Well, are we talking like 10 or 20%? Yeah, probably about 10%. Okay. So we're talking 20000 between the two of y'all for the first year? Yeah, that's probably about right. <laughs> Again, I want to make sure that people don't go in blinded, right? They're like, you hear 200000 but then it's like, a lot of your costs are, it goes directly to them. Exactly. Because we're paying all of the people. Exactly. Yeah. So I didn't want anyone to think like, oh, they made 200K net profit their first year. You know, I'm going to go ahead and jump in this. Oh my gosh. Yes. And I think people do think that often. <laughs> yeah, I bet they do. That's the reason I wanted to point that out is not to like bash you or anything. It's like, hey, anyone listening is like, we have to have realistic expectations of, you know, what we can do here. But I think as long as you start seeing momentum and in certain industries, the one that you were in, it takes a while to get that ball rolling and going. But as you start doing better, it seems like it starts to snowball as far as hopefully finding more and more clients and placing these people on the jobs, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think in the beginning, just having all those plans, kind of knowing what your bottom line is, you know, what you need to cover all your bills and 
for us, we had a lot of conversations about each other's finances. And Catherine was dating someone then who was now her husband. And she said, oh, you know way more about my financial situation than he does. We just peeled back everything because we said, if we're going to be partners in this thing, we both need to know everything. Like how much debt do you have? What are your expenses? How much do you have to make every month to cover it? And so by doing that, we were able to basically put markers in place. Unless we get to X point, we don't need to worry. That was very freeing because if you don't get there, then you don't have to worry. And I always recommend that to people, especially like in the creative industry, a lot of people want to freelance, go off on their own independently. And that's one of my biggest recommendations because people constantly worry about, am I doing enough? Am I getting enough clients? How will I get the next project? All of those things. And if you just know sort of your limits, as long as you don't bump up against them, then you're fine. It can relieve a lot of stress. <laughs> right. And it's important, like you're saying, I mean, glad you brought that up too, to have an open conversation. If you have a partner to like, how much money do we need to make that you're going to be fine? Because let's say if maybe you have zero school debt, but maybe they still have school debt and they have to make so much. If you don't have that conversation, then you're going to have an issue. Like, And when they start getting stressed out and taking out on you as a partner, you're like, well, what's going on? Well, I need to make this much this month. And like, well, you never said anything. How am I supposed to know? So it's good, again, to have these, maybe you don't know every single credit card she has or whatever, but it, you need to talk about overall, again, that monthly cash flow, how much you need to have or whatever. And I believe in 100% what you're saying as far as being open with your partner or whatnot to make sure you're in the same wavelength as far as like how much money we have left in our account personally versus the business. And again, how much we have to keep this going. Yes. And also, and you sort of alluded to this too before, like how many hours are you each going to work? Are you going to invest it back into the company or do you need to take a certain amount out? Because people have a lot of conflict over those kind of issues. You know, if you're not on the same page or you haven't had these discussions up front, everyone goes into it with their assumptions and that can just go so terribly wrong. So what was the hardest part about starting off that year one? It seems so long ago. I think mostly just not knowing what you're doing, but I will also say like, I still feel like that every day. Every day there is something new, especially right now. There is something new that I didn't know, didn't expect, have to figure out. And I think it's kind of interesting about being an entrepreneur. So like when I worked at my design and art direction job, my job was to be really good at a few things, right? Like very deep skill set in a narrow kind of area. But when you're an entrepreneur, I feel like you need to be, it's that like mile wide, inch deep, like you need to know about a million things, but you don't need to be an expert on most of them. Maybe you have an expert you reach out to or whatever, but you need to know about a lot of things and then be willing to figure out all kinds of stuff that you have absolutely no idea about. I mean, like I said, daily, I'm like, well, I've never encountered that before, but let's look it up online and see what we're supposed to do about that. I mean, it's just, it is never ending. And so I enjoy that. Like I enjoy always learning or figuring out something new and kind of the accomplishment of, yay, we figured it out. But it can be really frustrating for some people, especially if they are coming out of, I see a lot of people who want to start a business because they have a really strong skill set at doing something, but I think they don't realize all the other parts that go along with a business. And that at some point, if your business does really well and you grow, you probably won't even do that thing, you know, that graphic designer, whatever it is that you were really good at. It's that e-myth book that's all about that. 100% agree. So like when I did my mortgage business, I mean, I knew this going in and it's kind of why I wanted to start my own business is like, before I was just a broker, I was just doing sales, right? But I knew I'd eventually, like you were saying, 
I'd have to do the bookkeeping. I understood sales-wise, I'm like, I've got to find clients, which is the main thing. People got to you know, realize if you're starting a business, I've got to figure out a way to find those clients and like marketing. And that was always interesting to me. But again, it's just like all these other things, even setting up a website, setting up email domains, doing all this other stuff, you become a much more generalist instead of being the specific person, especially like you're saying, kind of in an artsy role. If someone's coming in, they want to start their own agency, maybe like yours, where they're specifically really good at like Adobe or something like that within Adobe. It's like, hey, you need to make sure you've got your head on straight. That There's going to be a lot more things running around a business other than maybe just doing some editing with this illustrator or whatever, if you will. Yes. I can't tell you how many times when I was still in more in the corporate role, when I would have to beg the freelancers and the different artists and so on that we worked with to invoice me. Oh, yeah. They're notorious for not invoicing. I have to submit this by the end of the quarter so I can get you paid. <laughs> like, please send me an invoice. But they just love doing the work. And they're like, oh, yeah, I hate doing billing. <laughs> like, really? I love getting paid. I think it's awesome. I love invoices. I get so excited when a check comes to the mail still. It's like, how fun. Somebody paid us for what we do. I think that's amazing. Yeah, there's different, like, luckily now there's services where you can kind of automatically do it, right? I think make it so much easier. But I agree with you. Is like when I was doing invoice, like, you know, I want to get paid too, but it's like almost the last thing on my plate to send. Well, because I'd have to wait till a closing to send it. But it's just like, Austin, you better send this if you want to get paid after all the work you just did. Right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, <laughs> right. stop putting this off. Why are you putting it off? You're like, I don't know. It's just so easy to do and I don't feel like doing it. I'm like, okay, I'd actually, <laughs> no, nah, I need to. I'd rather get some money, you know? So, right, exactly. After the first year, can you just tell us quickly maybe about the next couple of years and what you learned overall in the first few years of starting a business? Yeah. So somewhere in that first year, we actually got limited brands as a client. They were very much on our target list. We had both worked there. We knew tons of people there. And so we were able to get someone that we had both worked with previously to be our champion inside. And they, I will forever be grateful to her. They, you know, made a case to those who make that decision to have us come in and support their creative team as opposed to a more generic staffing firm. And so that was a huge deal because they're such a big company. And for us to be able to get into that big of a company and then service them well, then it would allow us to go to other big companies. And like no one wants to be the first, you know? So when we could go to another large corporation and say they use us and we're doing a great job for them, then another large corporation would say, oh, okay, well, you know, if, if you're good enough for them, then you're probably good enough for us. But that first big client or the first, you know, sort of marquee name or whatever, it's very exciting, but it also can be very helpful for your business to kind of get to the next level of clients. So that was in the first year and that was the huge deal for all those reasons and also because they use a lot of independent creative people. So we had quite a bit of work through them. And then over the next couple of years, so like I said, we stayed in our little house office for about a year and a half. And then just a bunch of things all came together. Was it fun doing that, working from your house with your friend there? Yeah, well, it's interesting because now I'm working from home again. <laughs> Entirely different. So the very same month that we started the business, I met this guy. Uh-oh who now I'm married to, I still think like, why did you not run screaming the other <laughs> way? But I'm like, oh, hi, you know, yeah, I don't really have a job. And I just started a business like two weeks ago. And he says, well, you seemed like you knew what you were doing. <laughs> He's lovely. He apparently was fooled by the fact that I seemed like I knew what I was doing. But what happened is over a few months, I was dating him and I ended up being at his house a lot. So my house almost became just like just the office, which was really nice because there was some separation. What were you doing at his house? Just cleaning or what? 
Oh, yeah, you know, just hanging out, watching TV. Okay, I gotcha. Just being friends. <laughs> Netflixing. Well, there wasn't even Netflix back then. <laughs> I know. Can you believe that, kids? We were probably getting DVDs from the library. <laughs> VHS tapes. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> so after about a year and a half, through all different circumstances, like he and I decided to move in and together and sell both of our houses and get a different house. And we wanted to bring in someone to help us, like an intern or someone to help us. But we just felt weird about asking someone to come work in our house. And I know lots of other people do that and companies do that, but I don't know. Somehow it just felt odd to me. So we decided it was just time to get an office. So we found a small office more in the city and moved. And that just felt like a really big grown-up thing, you know, to have like a real office with our name out front on a sign. It gave us more space, but also allowed us to get some help. So we started with an intern, a college intern who worked with us some hours per week. I don't really remember how many. Was this year two that you actually moved out of the house, you're saying? Yeah, year two. But not only that, I mean, the main thing I was curious about is the internship. Would you redo that or? Oh, yeah. And you know, the thing about moving out of the house is it was very different. So this was 15 years ago. There weren't co-work spaces and all of these other options that we have now. Like we would have probably had so many other choices. But at that time, there just weren't all those options. We just went with a regular office space, but would definitely do interns again. We have an intern right now. I love having interns. First of all, I just think they're super fun because they are always bringing a totally different perspective. I don't even care how young the younger people on our team are. They're all a certain amount of years out of college. Our interns are always a whole other generation, right? And they have different ideas and you, know, you have to choose wisely, but we try to find people who are excited about what it is that we do and want to learn that. How many hours a week would they work in like? I was going to say they never work more than probably 10 to 15 hours. Is it free? We wouldn't have a full-time amount of work for them, but they're always supporting a team in some way. We've had different interns to do different things, but they're always supporting someone else. Do you actually pay them or do they do it for free? Oh, yes. I totally believe in paying them for lots of reasons, <laughs> some of which are HR oriented, some of which are unpaid internships, I think can be a challenge for some people. Like some students need to work. And if the only thing available to them is an unpaid internship, they either have to choose, do they need money or do they need that experience? And I never want somebody to you know, have to choose that. We pay a little over minimum wage. It's not making anybody wealthy, but it's in the same range of what they would make working at a store, whatever. And they're getting experience in their field. So yeah, we always pay them. Yeah, I kind of agree with you. It's like, I probably just do minimum wage. And then, I mean, what I've heard before is like, okay, maybe they're doing like a lot of data entry, like work that or stuff that no one wants to do, right? Right. Maybe it's 10, 20 hours a week. And maybe depending on where you live or whatever, let's just say 10 bucks an hour or whatever here in the US. But then maybe once a week, they get to go out to lunch with everybody in the office like that, maybe you and just ask you questions. And like, dude, that'd be way like almost anyone should take that offer, right? Versus making 20 or 30 bucks an hour and doing the same type of work. It's like, if you're listening now and you don't have your own business and maybe you're a college student or whatever, hey, just go ask if you can do stuff at minimum wage. That's what I did in college too. Now that I think about it, I think I had one or two businesses that was in the real estate industry that I was like, they only need data entry or something. I'm like, I'll do something for a month as long as I can go out to lunch with somebody for like once a week just to pick their brain. So yeah, if you're in that role, think of that. I believe as the employer, it's our responsibility to make sure they're having a good experience and they're learning things too. So 
even if they're doing things that are, like you said, pretty mundane. And I've never had anybody complain about anything we ask them to do. Because you're the boss. Because I'm the boss. But we always try to make sure that they are doing at least a few things that are related to their major or their interests and that we're taking them along. I mean, we'll take them on client meeting. We'll take them, you know, we'll have them sit on interviews with us. We'll take them to a creative event. Like we try to include them in as many things that give them experiences and exposure, you know, because ultimately I feel like ultimately they should come out of that internship better position to find the next job or what usually they're like a senior. So they're looking to graduate and find their career path. So we work really hard to make sure they're getting good experiences that are relevant for them as well. Again, just put yourself in their shoes because I've had one before where they wanted to like do unpaid and it's like they kept asking me to do something. I'm like, dude, it's like you're asking me to do all this work. I'm not going to get any benefit. I think just looking at like as low cost as possible, give them busy work. And from the student perspective, often, I don't know if it's always like this, often like if it's unpaid and they're doing it as a class, then they actually have to like pay for the class and work for free. Like, wouldn't you rather we just pay you $10 an hour? And it's like a part-time job. Yeah, it's a lose-lose versus like a win-win, right? Yeah. I mean, sometimes they have to have it for their major, which is different. But in our case, we've always had paid interns. Looking back, it seems like it's been a successful business over the last 15 years since you basically started. Yeah, I think so. I mean, there's always ups and downs. I heard this great quote the other day. This person I admire was talking about business and saying that, it was me. <laughs> In a 10-year cycle, you'll have two amazing years. You'll have six, like, pretty good, you know, fine years. And you'll have two that are so horrible, you think you might go out of business. And you should just plan for that, like in a 10-year cycle, and you'll know which year will be which year. So I think over 15 years, like we've been through the last recession. Now we're going through a very interesting time and experience right now. We've had some great, like super busy years. We've had years where it's been really hard to recruit. So that actually impacts our business because it's hard to find people. It's always up and down. And I think if you sign up to start your own business, you have to sign up for that roller coaster. Like it doesn't just go up. Some people's do and God bless them. I don't know how they make that happen. But I think in an average smallish business that isn't trying to position themselves to be a unicorn or something, like we're just talking, we're a small business in a Midwestern city. You're going to have ups and downs. You're going to have amazing highs, but you're going to have some lows too that you really have to figure out. And so Every year is a little different and you go into it with all your plans and your goals and then you figure out how those will all probably get rearranged as the year goes on. But that's part of the fun of it, I think. Yeah, well, it's good because I guess I started off my two really bad years just to start off, huh? <laughs> yeah, so you got them out of the way. Yeah, so now I'm expecting six okay and two really awesome ones. Is that the deal? Yes. Well, Kristen, <laughs> thank you for sharing your story with us. If anyone wanted to reach out and say thank you for doing the interview, what's the best way for them to reach you? I am super easy to find. Not on LinkedIn. We figured that. <laughs> Apparently not on LinkedIn. But we actually will have a link again in the episode notes that goes right to your LinkedIn. So okay. after you look at the episode, you can go in your podcast player, just click on her name, and then you can messenger or connect with her on LinkedIn. We'll make it much easier for them. Okay. So yes, LinkedIn is fine. If you go to our website, which is PortfolioCreative.com, there's a team and there's a link to my email there. And then my direct email is Kristen, K-R-I-S-T-E-N at PortfolioCreative.com. All right, Kristen. Well, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. Let's see. I'm looking at our new, what are we doing now for Patreon for our group calls? Oh, we're doing two a month? 
Yeah, we are. And the membership price is still the same. <laughs> Unbelievable. So if you want to become a member, join our Patreon membership by going to millionaire-interviews.com forward slash Patreon. And again, the price is still the same. I'm not going to keep it this way forever. We're now doing two group calls a month for the price of one. You're welcome.